So we are uh, concluding this series this morning, this series titled Pebble, and this, uh, this series we've been studying through the book of Ecclesiastes. We started six weeks ago um, with the intro uh, and just kind of laid the foundation of the book of Ecclesiastes and, and who wrote it and why it's in there. We saw that, that this book is one of three books of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, and these books seek to answer the question, what does it look like to live a wise life, to live with wisdom? And we see that all three of these books come from a different voice and have kind of a different perspective on this question. And the book of Ecclesiastes uh, is one that, um, that is not easily understood. It's one that again, we've seen is written from a very unique perspective. Um, it was written by King Solomon, um, who was... Uh, the King David's son, he followed King David, um, and he ruled Israel at a time of huge prosperity and, and of peace, and he was the king that, that built the temple in Jerusalem, uh, the original temple then that was later destroyed and then rebuilt before Jesus came, and then on that same site, again, is where Jesus taught in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, as we see this, again, Solomon, uh, like I said, as he, as he as he ruled Israel in this, this time of prosperity and peace, um, he, he asked God for wisdom, and God granted him that request. And so he was the wisest person to ever live. Um, and, and he wrote uh, several different parts of Scripture, and Ecclesiastes he wrote from a very interesting point of view. That he wrote using two different voices in the book. Um, one, uh, you know, he starts off, it opens, and closes the book in Ecclesiastes, and that first voice is the voice of the author. Okay, the author, I said, is the first few verses, and then the last section, which is actually going to be our base text for this morning, Ecclesiastes 12, 8 through 14. But the author uses the voice of, of the big picture thinker that points towards the positive of life. Okay, and uh, again, he comes with kind of to soften the other voice's word, which is the core of the book, and that is the teacher. Okay, and the teacher's voice we hear from, verse, from chapter 1, verse 3, to chapter 12, verse 7. It's the, the majority of the book. And the teacher comes from a completely different side of the coin than the author. Um, the teacher gives us uh, the voice of a skeptic and a pessimist um, about the way that the world works. It comes from the negative point of view right, about how the world just doesn't make sense. And there are so many questions in this world and the way that, that everything happens that just don't have good answers. And the, the teacher, again, gives us this, this uh, hard-edged words, this pessimistic view um, that, that come through in this kind of sharp way. Now, as, as we've taken the last several weeks, we've, we've looked at all of these different topics that the teacher gives us, right, about the ways that we seek to find meaning in life. And we saw, again, in week two, we looked at success, and we try and find meaning in success, and we looked at, at worldly versus godly success, and what's the difference between those. Then in week three, we looked at seeking pleasure and wealth, right, and that how so oftentimes our culture is just looking for the next good time, right, and finding for that momentary pleasure and just how empty that is, and, and we oftentimes find that with money, and wealth brings that pleasure, and yet that is just as empty as well. Then in week four, we looked at justice, and how he talks about in the book about how life just is not fair, 
right? And there are so many times that, that life doesn't end up fair. And we sit there, you know, wondering and asking, why does that not happen? And, and for it, how can a just God, you know, allow this world to be so unjust? And again, we examined that and, and the things he gives us then in week four, injustice. Then last week, we looked at seeking notoriety and position. And just how, again, our culture seeks fame and notoriety and, and, and how fleeting that is and how even we always we all want to be the boss and we want to you know, rise to the corporate ladder and, and seek this high position. And yet, no matter what position we get to in life, there's always somebody higher. Right? Even if you're at the top, again, of, of early creation, is God is still higher than you. Again, we see how all of these things, when we seek all of these different things, that we end up back at this, this word, this meaningless idea. Okay? And because it is all meaningless if God is not involved. And that, has, again, has been the core, the, the title of the series is this word that is used all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and, in fact, it's used 38 times in 12 chapters. Um, it is used over and over and over again. Again, not an easy word to translate, and so, therefore, there's a lot of variations on how to translate this word. Um, the NIV and the NLT translate it as meaningless. The King James Version translated it as vanity. Um, but that is the Hebrew word that is used here is, um, is the word hebel. Okay, and this, this word hebel, again, is, as you see, the title of the series. But the, the textbook definition of the word hebel is an emptiness or a vanity, something transitory and unsatisfactory, like a smoke or a vapor, vapor that is beautiful and mysterious. It's an enigma. An enigma is a person or thing that is mysterious, puzzling, or difficult to understand. Again, this idea of this word is, is something that, again, we... It, it's, it's, it's hard to define. We, we can't grasp it. It's something that we feel like has substance, substance, right? It is beautiful. It's mysterious of where it goes and what it does. And like a smoke or a vapor, then when we try and grab that substance, find that there's nothing really there. That it's, it's empty. It's meaningless. It's, it's just vain, right? It is pebble. And like I said, this is a word that is, that is hard to translate and struggle, and that's why through our different translations we have these different words that, that they use um, but we get to, again to the end of just of how pebble everything truly is right now um the the, the there's the two verses in the book verses chapter 1 verse 2 and 12 18 that are exactly the same and they are the transition between the author and the teacher okay and these verses um, ecclesiastes 1 2 and 12 8 says that everything is meaningless says the teacher completely meaningless. And as we look at that again, as we see, this is not an encouraging verse. This is not one that we, you know, put on, uh, you know, on, on frame in our house. I mean, this is, this is one that, that we realize, right, that just, wow, everything is hebel, right? And, and he comes to us with this idea. But uh, again, we realize in that is that, that this word hebel, even Ecclesiastes, is not a book about God at all. And you know, oftentimes we come to the scripture expecting to learn about God, and, and therefore we come to Ecclesiastes with that expectation, and yet then it's hard to understand because it doesn't teach us about God. Okay, Ecclesiastes is not a book about God. It is a book about ideas. It is a book about, of, of, again, the teacher rambling and, and jumping through these different topics and giving us ideas of how to survive in a world 
that is completely Hebel. Again, it, it was not written as a theological book about a book about God, but it is an ideological book, a book of, about human ideas. And so we don't, again, learn necessarily about God, but yet as we, as we work through his ramblings and all these ideas, these human ideas, realize that everything is Hebel except for God. Right? And that's, again, the conclusion that we see and has been our theme throughout this series, right, that everything is Hebel except God. For God. Right? And that God is the only thing that brings meaningless into, meaning into our life. And that with God, life can have meaning and not be completely hevel. Right? And with that, is we've, we've, as I said, we've been studying and, and bouncing around through the teacher's uh, observations and ideas. And now today, as we conclude this series, we are going to end with the author's general overized thoughts that he gives us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 8 through 14. So I encourage you to open with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And we're going to jump in at verse 8, which we already have seen, right? It, everything is hebel, says the teacher, completely hebel. Keep this in mind, the teacher. The teacher was considered wise, and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. And the teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick in which a shepherd drives the sheep. But, my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. And that's the whole story. And here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. And God will judge us for everything we do including every secret, secret thing, whether good or bad. Now, as we read here this morning, again, these are the author's concluding statements. And, and again, if you've heard this whole series and you, we've, you've studied through this with us, you, you realize that there's a different tone in these words, right, than what we've seen in the other parts of Ecclesiastes. Because, again, this is the other voice. Now, Solomon wrote both all of it. I mean, he wrote from the teacher and from the author, but he, he uses this author's voice to soften the tone, right? To kind of pull back a little bit from, from the sharp words of the teacher. And again, if you have missed any of these, these messages, I encourage you to go back and to listen to them and, and watch them. They're all available online through our website, and you can watch the whole message, and the outlines are available. All the follow-up questions are available on there. I encourage you to go and to do that. But we, we get a very different tone of these words here by the author. Again, as, he, um, as he's the bigger picture thinker and points us towards the positive. And now as we conclude the book, he gives us some advice. to saying like, again, he's saying like, I understand that the teacher, everything the teacher's giving you is, is hard to understand. There's, he, he threw a lot of things out. And so here's some advice on how to process it all. Okay, here's some things to, to, to keep in mind as you, as you work through everything that he's just presented you. And so the first thing uh, he gives us, uh, he gives us in verse 9, and that is that words are powerful. He says, take this advice, even as you look at the words of the teacher and as you process through these things, realize and remember that words are powerful. 
right? They, they have a power to them, right? They, now, words, again, can, can move us in, in, in any direction and, and have, um, have a lot of power within our minds. Now, again, when we think about that, and again, and, and as he's kind of, you know, softening the edges of the teacher's words here, um, he says, like, I know how powerful those words can be. And also, again, in that advice is saying, one, know that, that, that they're powerful, so, so use that power in your life to, to find wisdom, but also know that your words are also powerful. And as you process everything that the teacher has given us, right, realize that how you respond is also very, very powerful. Right, when we think about these words, we all know this, this old poem, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Okay, we know this adage, this is a, a cliche statement that we, that we hear, again, that we, even as parents, I think sometimes get, get tempted to throw around to our kids when somebody says something mean to them, right? And, but the, the biggest problem with this is that this is an absolute, complete lie. Right, again, it's, it gives us something to say, but at the same time, we also know that this is not true. Right, I mean, sticks and stones, I mean, they break our bones. We know about physical injuries, right? But the thing about physical injuries, right, is that we heal, our bodies mend themselves from the physical injury, and then we move on, right? And again, there's, there's usually a set time, right, of healing, and you get over this physical hurt, and then you move on. Again, it's something I know well because um, I, I hurt, hurt myself a lot doing things in my life, okay, and again, I like to do things for fun that are, that are dangerous, and I get hurt, okay, and then I heal, again, you know that, I even had to give one of these messages literally from a stool, because I was on crutches, because I hurt myself, right, and again, we know, but physical hurts happen, but then we get over them, and we move on, right, but yet words do hurt us, right, and the wounds that come from words oftentimes are a lot more serious than physical wounds, and it takes sometimes an entire lifetime, sometimes we never heal from the wounds that are caused by words. Because words are very, very powerful. Right? And when we realize again that this is an absolute lie, because we know that this is the truth, right? That words really hurt. Right? And that words can really hold us back. Right? And as I said, again, sometimes we've all been hurt. Not sometimes, we've all been hurt by somebody's words at some point in our life. Right? And as I said, again, sometimes it takes a lifetime to get over those wounds. They, when, when we think, again, that, that old saying, like, this is a lot more accurate saying. Right? That sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can do permanent damage. Right? That's the truth. And again, the author is giving us this advice, right, of saying, like, hey, I know that the teacher's words are, are abrupt. They have an edge to them, right? That there's these, these ideas that he's throwing around that are hard to wrestle with, and there's some stuff that, that, that is just is hard to swallow, right? And, and realize that these words are powerful, again, and, and that, that we know they're powerful, right? And so he tells us, again, in verse 9, to, to take our words seriously, to prepare well before you talk. Think about what you're about to say before you say it. Right, so you don't end up in those minds where, where we've all been, right? Where we open our mouth and we insert our foot. Right? And then realize, like, man, I really should have thought that through before I said that. Right? Realize that our words are powerful. Right? That, um, again, that, 
that listening and that studying and, and working our way through our words is it plays a huge role in wisdom in our life and, and to it being beneficial in our life. Right? The way that you say things, the vocabulary that you use, the tone that comes across is incredibly important for clear communication. Right? Which is why, again, he tells us in verse 10 right, that, that the teacher took huge care to, to express these truths clearly. Right? Yes, his words have an edge to them. Yes, it's from a pessimistic view of life. Yes, all of these things end up hebel, and those are, that's a very real thing, and yet care was taken right, in the way that these were communicated. So as you process the things, remember that your words are powerful. Again, this, this concept is reiterated in the New Testament by James, in James chapter 3, verse 2, right? When he tells us, indeed, we all make many mistakes, and if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Again, reiterating to us the fact how powerful our words are. In fact, James is making the point, if you can control your words, then everything else in your life will fall into place if your words are godly. Right? Because your words carry incredible power. And this is a concept, again, that we need to understand, right, and get to the core of how powerful words are so that we can move on to the second piece of advice that he gives us. Okay, and, and on how to process all this, in verse 11, right, he tells us the next piece of advice is that truth can sting. Okay, the truth stings. Right, so many times, again, we, we deny the truth just so that we can cannot get stung, right, or, or to, to lessen the pain that comes from, from truth in our life. Right, again, whether it's truth about the way we're acting, whether it's truth about our attitude, uh, you know, about how we hurt somebody, how our words cause issues, or, or even how we, uh, you know, need to change something in our life. Truth hurts. Again, one of the reasons I love Lifeline and ministries like them is because they're committed to telling people the truth about abortion. Right? And, and that are there to help, uh, you know, people to work through the pain that comes after an abortion, if they make that choice, because the truth stinks, right? The truth can hurt us, right? And, and yet, that's exactly what he says, right, in, in verse 11. He's like, it's, it's painful, right, but it's helpful. I mean, yes, the truth stings. It's hard to hear. It's, it's, it, it, it makes me kind of want to be defensive when I hear the truth, but yet it's, it's meant to be helpful in our lives. It, it's, it's to help us grow, to be better, right? To move forward in our journey. If, if truth is presented in the right way, right, it will help you grow more than anything else, right? Because truth stings, yes, but it's also incredibly helpful. Right? And yet our emotions take us down a road that denies the truth. Right? One of the, uh, again, a, a guy that, that I value in my life, has spoken in my life, has helped me to be a better leader. You know, one of the things that, that I've heard him say over and over again is that until the emotions are resolved, the facts don't matter. 
Until the emotions are resolved, the facts don't matter. Right? Meaning, again, even because we, we use our emotions to soften the sting of the truth that we don't want to accept as the truth. Right? And, and even when we're facing a decision or whatever it would be, like I said, my mind likes to go to the facts. I like to say, well, let, let's, let's sit back and look at this. Let's analyze all these things and, and, and all the, you know, what, what's all going to happen. And, but the facts don't matter until the emotions are resolved. Right? Because our emotions will take us down this road. Right? And when we think about that, again, we, we, to, to receive truth, we, we have to be able to receive it from somebody that we know cares about us because that's what resolves our emotion. Right? It's the idea that knowing, again, if the truth comes, that it's coming in love, right? It's somebody that cares about me and really wants me to be a better person or to grow in my faith, and that's why they're bringing me this truth. Right? Which is, again, another you know, um, phrase adage I've seen is that a true friend stabs you in the front, Right, we know a, a false friend will stab you in the back, right, because they will say the truth about you behind your back, but a true friend will tell you the truth to your face, right, it's so when a true friend sits you down and says, hey, we need to talk, and I, I love you, I care about you, but I really need to tell you this because you don't realize, right, what's going on, and I want you to continue to, to be better, right, to, to not cause the pain, again, your words or whatever it is, and a true friend will stab you in the front, right? And then walk with you as you change and deal with that truth, right? As we think about, again, the words are incredibly powerful and the truth, when it's given, it's going to sting even when it's given in love, right? Um, but yet truth is something we so desperately need. And you know, that's something, again, that the teacher was, was trying to get us to see about, look, open your eyes to the truth of how this world really works. Right now, how, and how hebel things will be if God's not involved. Right, and turn to God to find that truth. Again, in the New Testament, Jesus reiterates this concept in John 8, 31 and 32. When Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you're truly my disciples, is you remain faithful to my teachings. And then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And yet, I don't know about you, but there's been so many times that I've read truth in the Bible and it's stung. Right? Jesus' teachings aren't easy. Right? To follow Jesus, we're going to have to deal with some sting of some truth in our life, right? To journey forward in our faith. And yet, again, we know it's coming from love. Right? And that God's intention in giving us that truth is to set us free. Right? And that's the most true thing we're ever going to see. Right? And notice, again, Jesus wants to set us free, just like Solomon gave us in Ecclesiastes, right, is the only thing that's not helpful is God. Right? And we can find that freedom. So I want to present the question to you this morning. What do you need, you need to be set free from? Right, what do you need to be set free from? Or what is it that you need to tell somebody but you're afraid to bring it up? Right, are you going to be a true friend to somebody that needs to hear the truth? Right, what do we need to be set free from? Okay, now as we again think about again the weight of the words, right, then he gives us this last piece of advice in verse 12 when he tells us, don't overthink life. 
Again, he, he comes out, he's like, here's this last, next piece of advice, right? He says, hey, writing, writing books is endless, right? Study will wear you out. He's saying if, if you, the more, if you can seek wisdom, right? And, and, he's, and you should, and you should learn, and you should grow in that and study and, and find these things again, right? But yet, wisdom can easily turn into a never-ending rabbit hole if you let it. Right? You can overthink, overanalyze things to the point where it just, it, you become captive, right, to, to that wisdom. Right? He's saying don't overthink life. Right? In fact, he literally says in here, be careful. Right? Be careful in this. Don't go too far down this road because, again, you can seek wisdom and, and it's wise to do so. Right? But be careful. Be careful. Do, do your due diligence. But don't put your faith in something that's going to let you down because even wisdom will eventually let you down. Because everything is hebel except for God. Right? Even wisdom. And if, if your faith is in anything other than God, it will let you down. And he says, be careful. Right? And in fact, he's telling us that we need to find this healthy balance between wisdom and faith. Right? Wisdom and faith. He says, God gave you a brain. Use it. Right? I mean, be wise. Like, figure out, look at the facts. Work through those things. Right? But yet, there's a point as well where faith has to outweigh your wisdom. Right? There's a point especially in serving God, where the math isn't going to work. Right? There's a point where we get to the end of wisdom and say, God, there's nothing I can do but give it to you, and that's where faith takes over. Again, God doesn't want us to do wise things, but yet he also wants us to have faith in him. Again, even just, even, again, donating money, right? Giving away, giving tithes and offerings. Right? There's a point, right? Wisdom says, well, if I give money to the church, then I, I'll have less in my life. But again, faith takes over that, right? Is, and God says, just trust me, right? Is wisdom isn't going to work in this situation. If you donate to me, I will bless you even more. Right? His, there's a balance between wisdom and faith. And again, his advice here is saying, like, take this wisdom, but balance it. Right? Find, again, where, where the scales tip. Right? There's a balance between wisdom and faith. As well as, again, part of that wisdom, right, in faith is even accepting your lot in life. Again, he says this over and over again throughout the book. We see it several times, right, of knowing what season you're in, knowing what your role is, and live into that 100%. Right, again, what season, just as we saw, again, in, you know, in chapter 3, there's a time to plan and there's a time to uproot, right, and be faithful to what that season is. Right, because sometimes, again, we can take our wisdom in that and then we've got to let our faith take over. Right, and, and, and just let God, even if it's a season that we're scared of. Right, we find this balance. Again, we see this concept reiterated in the New Testament by John the Baptist. Okay, and, and the context of this verse is, you know, John the Baptist, again, was given a certain role in life. He had a season. Right, and, and he had a mission to do. And he's supposed to go and kind of make this huge splash in the religious world and start baptizing people in water. Right, and to do this. Now, the whole point of his ministry and his time that God had called him to was to, to open the door to pave the way for Jesus. Okay, and so he, again, he, he's, he did that. He jumped out. He, he had disciples. People knew about him. He was, he was changing the religious world, right? And then Jesus shows up, okay? And he starts his public ministry, and, and it was to this point even where John's disciples, like, they see Jesus, and they're like, hey, John, like, 
Jesus is stealing your spotlight. Like he's literally taking people out of who are following you, and now they're following Jesus. Again, they come to John and say, hey, John, we've got to do damage control here. Right, because this Jesus guy is sabotaging your ministry. Right, and again, he, there's a point, though, where he says to them, he's like, hey, yes, wisdom, right, says, yes, we got to sabotage Jesus, then right back, and we got to compete. Right, but then his, he says, no, that season's over, right, now faith is going to take over. Right, and that's where we see in this verse, in John 3, 29 and 30, right, where John the Baptist says, therefore, I'm filled with joy at his success. Because he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Again, this was the point in John's ministry and faith where the scales tipped from wisdom to faith. Right, and where he accepted his law in life and said, no, this was my entire purpose, was to shine the light, to start the spotlight moving on me, and then to move it on to Jesus. And that's the phase we're in. Right, and so therefore... I'm filled with joy the more successful he is. Because the more successful he is, right, the greater he becomes, the less I become, and the more I fulfilled my role. Right, and he found this incredible, again, God-given balance between faith and wisdom. Right, when earthly wisdom says, compete and take it back for yourself, right, he's like, no, this is where I turn it over in faith. And I lift it up with an open hand and say, God, you do with it because my role is done. Right, as we, uh, again, see this, this idea, this, this idea that, again, worldly wisdom and faith have to roll hand in hand. Right, he, he gives us this advice, and then he moves into these concluding remarks in verses 13 and 14. Okay, and here the author then gives us um, two things to do to ensure that our life won't be hevel. Okay, and these, again, the final words are of, of the author Right, in this book, and he tells us this is the surefire way to make sure that your life will not be Hebel, that you won't end up at the end of your journey and be like, well, I guess it was just all Hebel. Right, he says this is, this is how to make sure that that does not happen. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14, he says that's the whole story, and here's my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Again, he gives us two things to do to make sure that our life is not Hebel. Okay, the first one, okay, is to fear God. And I encourage you to circle fear God in that verse. Fear God and put a big old number one by it. That's the first thing we have to do to make sure that our life isn't Hebel. Fear God. Fear God. Now, again, this doesn't mean fear punishment of God. In fact, it means exactly the opposite. It means to respect God and the fact that he will judge us because he's just. That God will judge us. Just he says, for everything we do, good or bad, secret, public, God will judge us. And realize that we will never pass that test because we are sinners. Right? And so, therefore, we accept the way that he gave us to be forgiven, and that is through the cross of Jesus Christ. Right, because he died on the cross and he rose again on the third day to pay our price. Right, and so that's how you join the journey, right? You receive that salvation through Christ. Right, he paid the price we could never pay ourselves. Right, he says that's the first way you start is by joining the journey, right, of ensuring that your life will not be hebel. 
right, is do life with God. Be a follower of Jesus. Receive him as your savior, right? That's step number one. And then the second one he gives us is circle, obey his commands. And then put a big old number two by that one. First, we fear God, right? We receive him as our savior. We join the journey and then we obey his commands. We learn his teachings, right? We, we get transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And we, we change who we are as we journey forward in our faith. After we become a follower of Jesus, then we have to live out that faith by journeying forward and closer to Christ every day. And as God changes our heart, then our actions will naturally follow. As we follow the example that John set us, where he becomes more and more and we become less and less. Right, fear God and obey his commands. Right, those are just, I mean, two things. It's not a long list. Right, two things that will ensure that our life will not be hebel. In fact, Jesus reiterates these exact concepts in the two greatest commandments in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. When Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And this is the first and the greatest commandment. And that sounds a lot like fear God. And then the second is equally important to love your neighbor as yourself. And the entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Again, that sounds a whole lot like obey my commands. Right, and notice even Jesus says, if you just, just these two things, that's all it takes. Just these two things. If you do these two things, everything else will fall into place. It's not a long list. It's not complicated. In fact, he already paid the price for our sins. Right, you just have to accept it and then continue to grow. Right, those two things. Because everything is Hebel, except for God. Right, and God is the only thing that will, that will make our life have meaning. Right, everything is Hebel except for God. Which then, here's our series, the final thought, right? The last word of this series is this, is Hebel is not the last word. Because life does have meaning with God. Right, God will bring meaning into our lives. So are you ready to join the journey that is not Hebel? Again, the journey towards Christ, the journey of faith, is not meaningless. Okay, God will bring meaning into your life, but you have to accept him, receive his love and grace, and then continue to move forward every day in your journey. Here this morning, God, that we would be committed to you. God, that we would open our lives and our hearts to you, God, that as we are, have joined the journey with you, God, the journey that has meaning. God, I pray that you would guide us, Lord, um, to take that next step in our faith. God, to continue to journey closer to you. God, to, to share your love and your, your grace and your light, God, in a world that so desperately needs it. And God, I pray that as we go here today, Lord, as we go through our lives this week, God, that we would shine your light. God, that through our own example, God, people would see you and see the joy and meaning, Lord, that you provide. Lord, we praise you for that. We thank you for that today. And Lord, guide us as we go, as we, uh, again, show people who you are this week through all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.